Hi, everybody. My name is Mike, otherwise known as Narrowin on the Detroit Pistons subreddit, and welcome to episode five of the podcast in which we speak about Summer League. So, I was considering doing free agency before this, but our Pistons Summer League has regrettably come to a premature conclusion as of last night's loss against the Nets, so I thought I would cover that first. So, Summer League. Pistons did pretty well throughout the uh, preliminary stage. As we know, they really ran into a buzzsaw with the Nets. The Nets had uh, you know, a fair number of NBA quality, NBA-ready players on their roster, including Jared Allen. Uh, and Jared Allen, when it came to certainly dealing with the Pistons' front court, it was basically infanticide. It was a guy who was probably this last season already in the top 15 NBA uh, starting centers, and uh, he was playing in Summer League. And Summer League... It's just it should be said for the purposes of this episode because I'm going to go through and evaluate player performances and and kind of talk about what I think we learned from each player uh, who played on the Pistons squad. It's worth noting that summer league, when you compare it to the quality of the competition in the NBA, is is very very low. Uh, Bruce Brown was one of the best players in summer league, and Bruce Brown, by NBA standards at the moment, is extremely raw. He still can't shoot, for example. He's still very foul prone on defense. And, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I've said in the past, the guy's a ton of potential. But uh, the point is that the vast majority of guys you see in Summer League will never make it to the NBA. Sure, some of them might go on to have very successful careers overseas, but at the NBA level, uh, most of these guys just don't have what it takes. Also, in Summer League, teams don't play like they would in the NBA. They don't have the benefit of really spending all this time uh, training together and, and working uh, as part of a team uh, over the very long term under very experienced NBA head coaches and with all the resources afforded to your average NBA team, analytics and scouting and so on. So my point is just keep that in mind You know, when evaluating how well a player did in summer league. You can look at Jared Allen. Again, is probably the most NBA ready and certainly the most NBA experienced player uh, in summer league. I believe he started 110 games for the Nets over the last two seasons. And I'm not sure exactly what he was doing there, but, you know, if they want him to work on something in particular, if the Nets did, then Summer League isn't, you know, the worst place to practice it. But in any event, you look at Jared Allen, who dropped a somewhat effortless 30-11 and 11 in only 24 minutes yesterday. That's something that he will never do in the NBA. I mean, not probably not in, in that amount of time and with, with what amounted to comparatively little effort. So just keep the context in mind. Keep in mind the difference in uh, you know the degree of difficulty playing in in summer league versus the NBA, so we'll start with a guy who really personifies that, and that's Bruce Brown. Now we saw some very nice things from Bruce Brown. Don't get me wrong; absolutely, the guy looked very comfortable as a playmaker. He looked a great deal more comfortable than he was last season at driving into the baskets. You know, he attacked harder. He uh, he just really looked like he knew more what he was doing last season in the NBA as, as, as well as in summer league. A year ago, it was basically just an uncontrolled drive to the net on his part. I think it, it made sense. I mean, he was a guy who was used to overpowering opponents in the NCAA by just by pure athleticism. As, you know, by NBA standards, he's probably above average on the athleticism scale. Uh, by NCAA standards, he's extremely athletic. So beating guys off the dribble without really using much in the way of moves probably wasn't all that difficult for him. And... The NCAA, I mean, it's it's easy to look at guys in the NCAA and say, well, you know, they perform really well there. 
maybe you know you know you can look at guys like um, I don't know Spartans fans brought up uh, you know a lot of them talked about oh what's what's Matt McQuay going to do you know because he was signed to the, the Piston Summer League team and, and saw no time which was unsurprising to me he was uh, you know unsurprising to me at least uh, because he was behind a bunch of guys who were signed to play for the Pistons and he was never going to get priority over them but also just uh, the guy by NCAA standards was a decent sixth man like I know that he was uh, he made the NCAA all defense team and he was a fairly good uh, he was a fairly good three-point shooter, but even compared to Summer League, the, the quality of the competition in the NCAA is low. And compared to the quality of the competition, you know, in, in, the, in the athletic standard in the NBA, it's, it's really low. You got some very good college players who just don't have what it takes athletically to cut it in the NBA, which is year by year just somehow manages to continue raising the athletic standard in the league. Pistons fans know this very well from the unfortunate saga of Henry Ellenson who was just does not possess NBA caliber athleticism, was always going to be a defensive liability, was always going to have trouble beating guys off the dribble. And the only way he was ever going to make it in the league was as a bench scorer, and he couldn't shoot. So uh, Pistons waved him, and, and so on and so forth. Even by summer league standards, he was, he was uh, you know, and he played in three summer leagues and didn't do particularly well in any of them. And even by summer league standards, he was athletic, athletically outmatched. So... Uh, Back to what I was saying, Bruce Brown looked really raw on the way to the basket the last uh, last season in the NBA and last year in summer league, and he looked a lot better this season in summer league. It's this summer in summer league. It's clearly something he's been working on, and he just he looked much more natural on his way to the basket. It wasn't just I'm going to drive right and try to hook it in, which is what he used to be. So that's certainly encouraging. The fact that he clearly has very good court vision is encouraging. I think we saw that last summer as well. But, uh, and just overall, it's, it made for a successful summer league appearance because he was just really able to drive baskets and, uh, and attract a lot of attention and use that court vision and passing of his to dish the ball to an open teammate. And he's got that sort of court vision that allows him to kind of uh, see who's behind him as well, just, you know, so to speak. He's able to uh, make hook passes to guys who aren't in his uh, range of vision. And that's great. That's something you always want to see. For, you know, it's something really good to see from anybody. Now, um, and it's worth noting that his, his off season was only about 10 weeks old when he came to summer league. So, you know, obviously you weren't expecting to see him, uh, you know, have, have made progress in every area. But where uh, his performance in summer league wouldn't translate to the NBA is that he still can't shoot. So one thing about summer league, like I said, you don't have teams really working with a set defensive scheme and you don't have teams operating on the basis of scouting and so on and so forth. And so guys were just playing Bruce Brown like they always, you know, excuse me, like, like you normally would play any player, which is by defending him at the three-point line. And they uh, also, of course, he was working. Uh, I, I get to the point, I feel like, where I'm beating this, you know, this is a dead horse I'm beating, but he was up against guys who are, who are considerably worse defenders than he's going to play against in the NBA. Uh, but, you know, that's, less, that's the less important point here. More important point is that this wouldn't be possible for him in the NBA if he can't shoot, and he still can't shoot. Uh, at Summer League, he was passing up all sorts of open three-pointers. He, he didn't shoot well on the ones he did attempt. He, he just he clearly still doesn't have a jump shot, which is a massive problem. Uh, you know, uh, 
if you just look at him at first glance, it's like, man, he's doing great in summer league as a playmaker. Maybe he could play some backup point guard or something like that. And the answer is no, he really can't at this point. Uh, teams will, in the NBA, will play him differently. They, they know how their average opponent plays. They play a set defense, and they do, they'll do exactly what they did last season, which is just back up five, six, seven feet into the paint. And just then they have a guy able, you know, around to help on whoever comes into the paint, and whether that's Blake Griffin or somebody trying to drive in there. And Bruce Brown knows this. He, he knows. Uh, he, he said uh, in an interview with what I believe was the Detroit Free Press, he said that he knew that him being on the floor made life harder on Blake Griffin, and it absolutely did because Bruce's man was free to just rotate to Griffin in the post. Or if Reggie Jackson was wanting to drive to the basket off the pick and roll, Bruce Brown's man would just go in there, and then uh, and then you got uh, you know usually the center who's defending the paints, and, and Bruce Brown's man defending Reggie Jackson or whoever else is coming into the paints, and it's a huge problem. So that would basically wipe out Bruce Brown's ability as a playmaker really right off the bat, because you know he was making heavy use of the pick and roll, and, and that's what a lot of guys do. When you're uh, when you're looking to penetrate to the basket, but what his opponents would do in the NBA is just go under every screen, which means you don't chase the guy under the screen. You just go behind the screener, and then you back away toward the basket. And then suddenly Bruce Brown can't beat you off your first step because you know you're you're too far away from him, and he's got to drive into what amounts to double coverage. And then good luck making plays for anybody because the other team just strictly defends the shooters on the floor, and and just dares Bruce Brown to shoot and if he can't make that shot then you know what options does he have he's got to pass the ball and this is the, the same sort of thing that that Ish Smith ran into in the playoffs I mean Ish Smith at this point in his career is a more polished driver and a more you know just a, a lot more experienced than Bruce Brown of course but against the Bucks, all they did was they said okay well we're going to back into the paints we're going to back a man into the paints and we're going to dare you to either shoot from the perimeter because, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to back a guy into the paint and we're going to we're going to cover the shooters on the floor. And admittedly, the Pistons didn't have a ton of those. And admittedly, Dwayne Casey, really, for some reason, that, that continues to elude me, doesn't like using off-ball screens to get his guys open. But, uh, you know, with, with the with the results that generally during the regular season when you had Luke Kennard and Thon Maker on the floor, I mean, Thon Maker was open all the time because guys were more than happy to give him that shot. When in reality, he should have been setting screens for Kennard or setting screens for whatever other shooter happened to be on the floor so that they get themselves open. Uh, but Dwayne Casey had him spotting up instead, which is, is a terrible idea. But, you know, that is what it is, sadly. And uh, But whatever the case, in the playoffs, the Bucks just said, we're just going to back off, and your your choice is to take a bad shot that you probably can't make, or drive into double or triple coverage. And again, the you know the, the being on the floor with at least one other non-shooter uh, certainly hurts Smith. I mean, uh, putting two non-shooters on the floor is asking for is asking to really have severe trouble with spacing, unless you're a team like you know the Warriors of the last three seasons who get away with it because they had three of the best shooters. To, you know, in the world on the floor, but Pistons don't have that, and neither do most teams. So uh, that basically neutered Ish Smith. I mean, he was absolutely horrible in that series. And granted, his his mid range touch abruptly just left him at some points in the season. You know, he used to be a you know he used to be a fairly decent mid range shooter off the dribble. If you left him open, uh, that was gone this season, and it was to be honest never really all that reliable to begin with. But whatever the case, Bruce Brown will, will run into the same problem in the NBA. I mean, guys will just defend him in the same way. 
and you know Ish Smith had the benefits of you know being extremely quick and having many years in the league, and Bruce Brown doesn't have that. But you got to be able to shoot if you're playing it at the guard positions. Absolutely, you got to be able to shoot. Uh, certainly, if you're a small forward, if you're a power forward, it's best if you can shoot if you're a center. But you can get away with not doing it. But the fact that it's so valuable to have that for the purposes of spacing and having that extra three-point shooter on the floor, uh, it just really opens up your offense and opens up your offense further and makes it very difficult to defend. And that's why traditional centers are really on their way out of the league. But just as as a guard, you know, as a guy who's going to play Bruce Brown's positions, which are, you know, point guard through small forward, you got to be able to shoot, non-negotiable. And if you can't do that, then you're a spacing liability in the NBA, period. So that's something he's really got to work on. Like I said, only 10 weeks since the regular season. And, you know, you can't expect, you know, it would be nice if he showed that kind of progress, but he clearly hasn't made it. But uh, Brown is very clearly a super hardworking guy. He's, He's already said that he has been working super hard primarily on his shooting, and hopefully he can get it together because... Uh, if you got a Bruce Brown who can shoot, then you know, then you've got a super versatile player who can line up at any of three positions. Guy who could play a point guard, guy who they could put in the starting lineup next to Reggie Jackson, who's kind of a defensive liability, and, and just in general because the, def- the the starting lineup is just not going to be very good defensively this season. And a guy they could uh, play in a playmaking role off the bench, a guy they could be, you know, and this is kind of a little bit grandiose, but a guy they could be looking at as, as starting point guard of the future. I mean, he'd need to make a ton of progress, but you know, it's super valuable to have a guy who can, you know, is really a Swiss, Swiss army knife who can, who's athletic, can drive to the basket, can shoot. He's a good playmaker. He's a good defender. Those guys are super valuable. Uh, and if Bruce Brown can learn to shoot, then he can be one of those guys. If he can't learn, if he can't learn to shoot, then he's going to be a spacing liability. Period. And, and uh, offense is king in the NBA. It's uh, games are won or lost on offense. His defense is valuable, but games are won or lost on offense. And if you can't shoot, then you're a minus on offense. At, at least, again, you can get away with it to an extent when you're a center. But obviously, Bruce is not a center, so you got to be able to shoot. So that's you know that's the linchpin. That's what he has to be able to do, and he can work on everything else and get better at everything else. But if he can't shoot, then he's going to be a player of very limited value in the NBA, and that's just the unfortunate case. But in any event, it was encouraging to see what he could do and hope we can get a shot together because if he can, then absolutely he's fit to play big minutes in the NBA. And, I, you know, I, I, I can't say enough good things about the guy as, as far as his potential and his attitude. He's clearly a super hard worker. He's clearly a team-first guy. He's got leadership potential, uh, so he's he's got a lot to offer the Pistons. But that shot is the thing he's got to have; otherwise, he's always going to struggle in the NBA. So, good summer league for Bruce. It's kind of cool, I guess, that he was only the second player ever to put up a double. Uh, excuse me, a triple double in summer league after Alonzo Ball a couple seasons ago, a couple summers ago. Uh, so, you know, good play out of him. And uh, hopefully we can get that shot together and we see uh, him doing more of what he did uh, in uh, this summer and the upcoming season. That said, if he does play in the starting lineup, he's, he's of course, not going to have much of a playmaking role. Uh, Blake Griffin takes the – Blake Griffin is on the ball the most out of any of the starting lineup, of course. That's how you play around him. He was the primary ball handler whenever he's on the floor. Reggie Jackson is the secondary. Is is the primary ball handler whenever he's on the floor, and Griffin is not. Whenever the two of them are on the floor, just whoever's with them is not going to get to handle the ball very much. So you know, who knows what'll be done with him? But yeah, we'll see. 
even if he's just a guy who can play very good defense and uh, shoot threes and can maybe score some off the drive, then fantastic. That's, that's a guy you can viably start. Uh, one thing to mention about his defense, still super foul prone, and that's something he's got to cut down on. Was he a good defender last season? For the most part, he kind of struggled fighting around picks, which he can, he's continued to struggle fighting around picks in summer league. And he's, he struggled a little bit defending the three-point line. That's still something he's got to work on. But uh, free throws are just such a just such an incre- you know incredibly efficient, just a great source of offense. Like Andre Drummond, he's not a good free throw shooter, but you sink 59% of your free throws. That's still very efficient offense. And a lot of guys are in the 80s, and, and some of the very best are in the low 90s. So if you follow a guy and send him to the line, you're giving him a great scoring opportunity. And Bruce Brown, like I've said before, if you take centers out of the equation, and centers are naturally the most foul-prone players in the league because they're defending the rim. If you take centers out of the equation, Bruce Brown was the most foul-prone Starter, consistent starter in the league. You know, I, I said consistent starter at around uh, started more than thirty games or thirty or more games. Yeah, he followed at a higher rate than than any other consistent starter in the league. So that's something he's got to work on. He continued to follow in summer league, and don't get me wrong, the guy is you know he's a he's a pit bull on defense. I mean, he he's one of those guys who really just you know makes it his trade. It, it's it's very important to him to play good defense. And he's got all the makings of a good defender. He's got those good defensive instincts. He's quick on his feet. He's, he's very good lateral movements. He's he's got a you know he's he's got a respectable wingspan, and he's he's just he's got those instincts. And uh, so, it's just another thing he has to work on. He has to become less foul prone. So in the end, what have we learned about Bruce Brown from summer league? Uh, that he's a pretty good playmaker. He's a pretty good passer, and certainly has the capacity to improve off the drive. But still needs to work on his shot. Uh, also still needs to work on his, his overall offense because he wasn't efficient. You know, he, he, he granted it was dry. His efficiency was dragged down by the fact that he only shot 20% from three. It was only on two and a half uh, attempts per game, but nonetheless, he only shot uh, just 41.3% from the field altogether. Uh, though to his credit, he did a decent job of getting to the free throw line. You know, not great, but decent enough. That said, it wasn't enough to boost his efficiency into you know, up to what you would consider an acceptable level, uh, even, you know, certainly for summer league. And definitely, you know, if you put a transplant that average into the NBA, it would definitely not be good enough. Uh, you know, for statistical purposes, uh, he actually is continues to lead uh, the summer league in assists per game at 8.2. Second best uh, right now is 6.4. And on the entire summer league, 13.5 points per game, yeah, 8.2 assists per game, 8 rebounds per game. So, Pretty good as a rebounder, too, and that's something he can do in the NBA as well because he's very bouncy. So, yeah, that's what we learned about Bruce Brown from Summer League. Moving on to Kyrie Thomas. So Kyrie Thomas was kind of the number two guy in the team, and he certainly did well from three-point range. Uh, it was kind of his, his average was artificially, not artificially, it was kind of inflated by the first game where he did very well. He didn't do quite as well in the next few games the next four games, rather. He ended at 38.2%. And Kyrie, uh, you know, 13.4 points per game, 2.2 assists, you know, about four rebounds, and, uh, you know, quite a few turnovers. But, like, not a ton, but, you know, two per game against uh, 2.2 assists, obviously, isn't ideal. So Kyrie was brought kind of out of his elements. The guy, as he, again, as he demonstrated in college and, again, demonstrated at Summer League, he's just not a good ball handler. 
He's, he's not good at going downhill and trying to beat his guy off the dribble. He, he just he doesn't have the best handles. He's, uh, he's kind of prone to losing the ball. He's not good at driving into coverage. I mean, these are things I suppose you could work on. But the guy, you know, the guy is, is already, I believe, uh, actually, no, I know. Um, the guy's 23 years old. So, you know, I mean, obviously, it, it's not, you're not like at the end at that point. But if you look at a guy at that age who still kind of looks lost as a ball handler, he's probably not going to develop that kind of skill. You know, some guys just don't have that sort of IQ or the handles. And uh, just overall, though, I mean, so Kyrie's efficiency as, as a result of, you know, he was, he was put on a lot of two-point sets, and he didn't do well at all. Like, his field goal percentage was lower than his three-point percentage. So, I mean, that's, that's quite rare for a guy who's attempting seven, you know, seven threes per game. And it just shows how much he struggled from two-point range. So, fortunately in the NBA, you know, if, if he makes it in the NBA, and I think he should, uh, even if it's only a bench player. Some guys, I mean, it's fine if they just play fairly good defense and sink their threes at a good rate, you know, you're in good shape. I mean, not every guy you put on the floor is necessarily going to be able to drive to the net. I mean, you look at guys like Danny Green. He's been very valuable in certain offenses throughout the course of his career. Like with the Spurs, he if, if they had not if they had won in 2013, I think you can make a very good case that he would have been Finals MVP. And that's a guy who absolutely cannot, you know, it's very rare that he drives to the basket and he's not good at it. Uh, he's a guy who takes threes or occasionally pump fakes and takes a two. And uh, and he's he's a good defender. Uh, you know, he's gone a little bit downhill in that respect. You know, as, as he's gotten older, he was never the most athletic guy to begin with. But you can be a very valuable player in the NBA if you're a good defender and guys can dish you, uh, you know, can dish you the ball at the three-point line and you're a significant threat. So the fact that Kyrie isn't very good at working with the ball really isn't a very big problem necessarily. Now, his defense wasn't all that great. It wasn't bad, but... You know, I wouldn't call him a defensive standout, which is a little concerning at the, at the summer league level. He was, I believe, two-time defensive player of the year in the Big East. I mean, it's not the best conference in, in college basketball, but nonetheless, uh, it's, it shows that he was a good defender at the college level. Uh, if, you know, a feat helped by the fact that at about six foot three and three and a half inches in shoes, he's got a six ten and a half wingspan. I mean, that's gigantic. It's it's not a guarantee that you'll be a good defender like Reggie Jackson. Has a freakishly long wingspan. That's six foot three, seven foot wingspan. Uh, so it's not going to make you a good defender by default. You've got to have that IQ, but it certainly helps. You know, you can be a little bit more out of position and and still have the length to you know to to make up for that. So, like I said, I think Kyrie was driven out of his element. He's he's just absolutely not good as a ball handler, and he, he wasn't at the college level either, and. I think the the Pistons maybe wanted to see what he could do in that respect, and he did not impress. He also certainly didn't impress getting the, to the free throw line uh, 0.4 attempts per game. Though in his defense, it was kind of weird. He was going to the basket and getting hacked a fair amount and just not getting foul calls. Uh, I'm not sure what that's about. But, you know, I think even if he had been getting those calls, you know, he's still not, he's just not good at driving to the basket. The guy does not have the best first step, and he just, he doesn't really have the moves. So that's what we learned from Summer League. Uh, well, one more thing, actually. Uh, playing with confidence is a big deal for this guy. I think 
Like we saw that in the first game. We saw it at times elsewhere. There are guys you just really have to put in a position to succeed and they'll do well for you. Uh, Kyrie was not put in a position to succeed in this tournament because he was asked to do a lot of stuff that he's just not good at on offense. You know, he he can hit the occasional mid-range jumper off the dribble, but beyond that, I mean, his, his utility is primarily found at the three-point line. Yeah, he's just, he, I'll say this again, doesn't have the moves. He's, he's not a good passer. Uh, he's not an awful passer, but he's not a good passer. He doesn't have very good vision. So, uh, so we've learned that decent three-point guy, uh, not mentally the strongest, needs to be playing with confidence, and uh, you know, a decent defender who can hopefully improve. And uh, just it's just that his his place in the lineup is uh, you know where you could be in the lineup is at least in this upcoming season is kind of nebulous. I'd hopefully, Bruce Brown will develop his shot. And then, you know, in that case, I think it's all but certain that's, that he'll take his place in the starting lineup again, and that's fine. Because uh, a backcourt of Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson is probably just going to get absolutely eaten on defense. So, and Coach Casey really just, he values defense to a, to a degree that I don't agree with. Defense is important, but his philosophy is if you can't play defense, then you're not going to be on the floor. When in today's NBA, where offense is, is significantly favored over defense, the opposite is true. It's you can't be on the floor, again, unless you're a center. You, you can't be on the floor if you can't shoot. And guys who can shoot but can't play defense are far more valuable than guys who can play defense but can't shoot. But nonetheless, that's Coach Casey's philosophy. So assuming Kennard on the bench, you know, where does Kyrie Thomas play? Uh, he can't play the points. Like maybe in a situation where he's with other guys who are able to, you know, other guys will be handling the ball. You know, I guess fine in that case. And uh, he's a switchable defender because that wingspan and the fact that he's, he's kind of, he's got a very, he's, he's strong, you know. He's, he's certainly uh, a well-built guy, particularly for his size. Uh, so, I mean, defense shouldn't be an issue. People talk about him as undersized. Uh, he's only one and, a, one and a quarter inches short on the Bruce Brown. He's got a longer wingspan. So uh, it, it's just, you know, if you're playing Kennard at backup shooting guard, which I think will be the case, uh, where does Kyrie play then? Uh, I will note that I, I'm afraid because Dwayne Casey has a long history of playing favorites when on, with underperforming veterans that Langston Galloway will somehow find his way into the rotation, despite the fact that A, he shouldn't, and B, he's just not a good player, and he hasn't been so far in the NBA. Uh Langston Galloway, and I know I'm going way off on a tangent here, but he's just this uh, this otherworldly unreliable shooter who can either light up the opposition or just have a horrific game. And he's, he's not the greatest defender. He's not athletic. He, he can't, you know, again, you don't have to be great at driving to the basket, but you don't want to put a guy on the floor who you just, you don't know if you can rely on him at all on any, and literally any given night. You can look at Langston and say, well, I don't know if you're going to be great or you're going to suck. And that's not a guy you really, <laughs> that's not really a, the ideal guy for any offense. And so last season, well, last season you could have made the argument that, that Kyrie could have come in and done a better job than, say, Bruce Brown just on, on the basis of being able to shoot. Ultimately, we never found out. And, and now it's a moot point. So who knows where he'll fit in next season? Uh, maybe he won't get his chance until, you know, I wouldn't say until, but, um, you know, hopefully it's not until, I'll say, unless injuries strike. 
and even then it's not necessarily certain that if he even you know even if he is possibly the better player than Galloway and a guy whom the Pistons would benefit from developing it's it's not certain that he'll get those minutes over Galloway who again coach Casey is just one of the guys that that coach Casey is is Casey has a history of just of getting attached to guys like you know to underperforming veterans and and favoring them when they don't deserve it anyway that's it for Kyrie Thomas so uh, moving on to Svi Mikhailuk so uh, Svi actually struggled a significant amount from the field and uh, including from three-point range. Uh, last summer league, he did a great job in three-point range. Not so much this time. He started off pretty strong and then tailed off. He was given a lot of ball handling duties. That was that I believe was by design. Dwayne Casey has said, you know, I think uh, Svi Mikalia could play point guard in the NBA. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but the guy certainly flashed some moves. You know, he's 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 a pretty good dribbler. You know, he's he's got some pretty good moves. He's he's certainly got good court vision, like without a doubt. He can be a playmaker off the pick and roll. You know, those guys are valuable guys who can, you know, you give them the ball and you give them a pick and, uh, you know, either they can launch a quick three and hopefully, you know, if they can launch a quick three and hit it with uh, hit a good percentage or you, uh, and, and basically that forces defenders to not go under picks. You have to follow them around to pick and that just helps open things up because his defender is automatically behind him and then a uh, defender has to come and face him on the way to the basket and that opens up somebody else and so on and so forth. It's just, you know, it's just a common rule. Guys who are able to shoot are going to be more valuable on the pick and roll. Of course, it's almost kind of a moot point because there are exceedingly few guys who are getting minutes at, uh, at the guard positions or, or at small forward or really any, any guys who are just running the pick and roll consistently. There are very few of them left in the NBA who can't shoot. But back to Svi, his real bar in the NBA is going to be that he's just not athletic. You know, he's just not. He's uh, he doesn't have a very quick first step. He's not explosive. He's not a good leaper, and he's got a short wingspan. These are all things that will make it more difficult for him to gain separation and to get to the basket. And he was struggling to a degree to do that even in summer league. Granted, it would have been helpful on the pick and roll, for example, if he had better roll men to feed uh, since the guys he had were just not particularly good but really you know as, as nice as his ball handling was uh, I think based on what we've seen and what we saw in summer in, in this summer league and, and granted you know the guy's not old by any means he's only 22 years old uh, but you know there's space for him to prove we'll put it that way but at this current stage of his development his utility in the NBA is primarily just going to be as a shooting specialist. Maybe he'll see some time with the the bench lineup. Maybe he'll be the backup small forward, but he's only going to be useful in the NBA if he can sink those threes, and he's probably going to be a defensive liability. Again, as a guy who is just not very quick on his feet, uh, at least for the position that he plays, and has a very short wingspan, uh, you know, I think his, his his outlook for this season is just is shooting specialist. And overall, I wouldn't say he had a particularly good summer league. I mean, you're shooting 37.5% from the floor and 32.5% from three. That's that's just not a good performance against a competition of that quality. He was very turnover prone as well. I mean, he did manage four assists per game, but it was against three turnovers per game. So not the performance probably that the Pistons brass were hoping for, uh, especially after how well he performed last season. That said, last season he wasn't, as far as I remember, was not handling the ball this much. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think that I am. 
So that's where Svi is. We just, you know, we learned that he may or may not be ready for NBA minutes. <clears throat> you know, he, he'll flash, he flashed some cool moves just, just like he did uh, last summer. But, you know, at this point, what the, you know, the best the business can hope for from him next season is that he comes in and is a real threat from the three-point line. So moving on, Jordan Bone. So Jordan Bone uh, picked up with the Pistons on the third game because the trade uh, that, that brought him to the Pistons wasn't approved until uh, shortly before then. So what did Jordan Bone show us? Jordan Bone showed us the same kind of explosive athleticism that he was known for in college. I mean, he was, he was tops in, in the, uh, almost all of the athletic categories, like in terms of uh, vertical leap and shuttle run and so on at the NBA Combine. Now, uh, Bone, still quite raw. He was not good from the floor. He, he certainly struggled from three point line, from three point range. He, he just struggled from the floor in general. I mean, what and he, and he struggled on the way to the basket as well, which is you know which isn't encouraging, and you know hopefully he can improve. But his offense relied a great deal on just going around picks and taking long twos, and long twos are the the most inefficient source of offense in the NBA. That's just that's that's you can't cut it in the NBA with that kind of. You know, with that being a primary means for your offense, because offense, you know, the defenses in the NBA are going to be significantly more difficult than what you saw in summer league. So the guy really has to improve on his way to the basket. He has to improve as a three-point shooter. Guys who can shoot threes and are very good going downhill toward the basket will always have a place in the NBA. But guys who do don't have either of those are going to be in trouble. You got to have a three-point shot. Period. But. You know, if you can shoot threes, you'll be valuable. But if you're playing point guard, it's it's very very nice. If you're able to, you know, it's you know, it's really ideal to be able to penetrate uh, and be a threat on the way to the basket. <clears throat> and uh, with Jordan Bone, of course, guys are always going to have to defend him. You know, because you just you can't leave a guy like that open on the way to the basket because obviously he'll score. So even if he's not great at finishing, he'll still be able to you know drive and dish. But he's looking very raw. He's got potential, uh, you know, like a lot of the guys who go through the system. He's, he's got to learn to shoot. He's got to learn to shoot better. He didn't do a good job in the summer league. And in summer league, as I've said probably several times in this podcast already, is, is far easier than the NBA. So, uh, but, you know, beyond that, he worked really hard. That's nice to see. He's super quick. Uh, defense was a bit of an issue, not helped by the fact that, you know, he's about 6'2 and a half, and he's got a 6'3 wingspan which is, you know, which is bad. I mean, that's, he's, uh, that makes him, uh, excuse me, he's six foot three, I think, but six foot three and a half wingspan or something like that. Basically, his, his wingspan is, is not significantly greater than his height, and his height is, he's not very tall. <clears throat> uh, he's not small by NBA standards, but nor is he tall. Uh, so that's a disadvantage. That's a disadvantage on defense. It's also a disadvantage at scoring at the basket because it's nice to have longer arms. So he'll be playing in the G League. He's on a two-way contract, which means that he's he's not going to be spending much time with the Pistons. And uh, you know, but in, you know, I mean, they have a third third string point guard in Tim Frazier. So he'll be fourth on the depth chart, and he'll be playing uh, the vast majority of his games with the Griffins. And we'll see how things go. But a guy who was picked as late as he is. Most of those guys don't make it in the league. 
we can hope for the best, and we'll see. He's, he was certainly exciting to watch just uh, because of how quick he was. But overall, not a very good performance. So with Jordan Bone, we've learned that he really needs to work on his shooting, and he really needs to work uh, on his moves on the way to the basket. And as a passer, didn't really flash anything special. So uh, the last one, or the last two on the list, rather, as far as guys who are under contract to the Pistons, are guys who didn't play much. One was Seko Dumboya. He wasn't cleared until the final game. You just you don't take risks in summer league. It's just not worth it. If a guy looks like he's injured, you don't want to risk making that worse. So Dumboya came in. He was he played only 13 and a half minutes. Uh, that was in, again he only played the final game, so he played 13 and a half minutes in the entirety of the tournament. He looked very raw. Looked like a guy who potentially could be good at everything, but right now isn't particularly good at anything. Again, very limited time. But he kind of looked a little bit lost on defense. Uh, on offense, he kept trying to post up, which is probably, you know, he, used to, he was playing overseas in France. It was, a, it was a, a pro league, but not a very high-quality pro league. He was probably able to just, uh, you know, to just body people in that league in a way that, you know, wouldn't have been possible even in summer league and certainly not, you know, at the NBA level. And, uh, you know, overall, he just, he's super young and he's super raw. And Ed Stefanski is the Pistons general manager, uh, or, you know, it's his de facto role as general manager, has said that the front office envisions Dumbaya as a guy who's going to contribute a couple of seasons down the line. And if he can come in this season and do well, then fantastic. That would be just great. He could take the backup small forward minutes. You know, wonderful. I don't think that anybody should bank on that because... He's got a ways to go in his development. And finally, Davida Servitas, also very, very raw. He only played about 35 minutes in the tournament. I think the, the vast majority of that was in garbage time. He's going back to Europe. The Pistons are stashing him there. I think that was always their plan with their second-round pick. He'll preserve a roster spot. He won't be counted against the cap. And Servitas is just not ready in any fashion. He looked lost on defense. He, he just he didn't really look comfortable on offense. And his body is an NBA ready. So he's just a guy you send him back to Europe and you hope he's he's maybe ready for next season. But he's just he's just very, very obviously not ready in, in any capacity for the NBA right now. And there's there's no reason for the Pistons to even stash him in the G League. Uh it's just best for all involved if he goes over to Europe and continues his development against uh an easier level of competition, considerably easier level of competition. So that's it for the Pistons roster. Uh, not the Pistons roster, rather. That's it for the guys who played in Summer League who were under contract to the Pistons. There are a couple other guys uh, whom I know fans were looking at. Those are Matt Costello and Dante Hall. So we'll start with Hall. What he did show us is that he was a fairly athletic guy. And you know, at the Summer League level, he's a fairly good rim protector and a decent rebounder. What he also showed us... He has Eric Moreland levels of, of offensive IQ and ability, which is to say none at all. He's, he's pretty much helpless on the offensive ends, even at the summer league level. He just he doesn't have those instincts. He doesn't have any touch under the basket. Of course, he can't space the floor at all, and he couldn't in college either. He's not even a good three point, uh, free throw shooter, rather. He struggled in college. He struggled again in summer league at, uh, at less than 60%. Uh, and from the field, uh, just 38% for a guy who's playing center. 
I mean, 38% for anybody isn't ideal. 38%, uh, you know, for a guy who's playing center and only scoring around the basket is, is really, really bad. So maybe the Pistons will sign him to uh, the Grand Rapids Drive. He, I would say with 99.99% confidence that he will not be uh, signed to the Pistons roster. They still don't have a backup center, but he's definitely not fit for that. And finally, Matt Costello. So uh, Costello played pretty well. For the Pistons, by summer league standards, again, uh, he was he was a fairly good rebounder. You know, he did okay in the pick and roll. He provided some rudimentary floor spacing, though. He shot thirty percent from three. Worked hard on defense. He was as hardworking as you would expect from his days at Michigan State, but not an NBA caliber player. At, at the summer league level, he can do a fair job of defending the rim that you saw against. New Jersey, he just he, he had no hope of stopping Jared Allen, and he struggled against uh, some of the Nets guards who were just too quick for him. So at the summer league level, he can defend decently well. You know, his his lack of athleticism isn't doesn't make him a straight out liability there. But even then, he struggled to defend without fouling. I mean, the guy averaged upwards of five fouls per game, and sure, you can you know you can manage you know in, in summer league when you have ten fouls to give. You know, maybe you play a little bit more fast and loose, but those are fouls that, you know, I, I think those are fouls you're just going to commit anyway because he's just, he's not quick enough to position himself on defense against them, you know, the much quicker players he was playing against even at summer league. And at the NBA level, the standard of athleticism and skill is that much higher. So, uh, you know, and again, he was a decent but not great interior scorer. At, at the NBA level, his, his lack of athleticism would make him just a huge liability on defense uh, on the perimeter and in the paint. He's undersized to boot. And basically, the only way to be able to play defense is by fouling. And obviously, you can't do that in the NBA. And as an interior scorer in the NBA, he wouldn't be good either. Uh, I think it's very unlikely he will actually get uh, a, I mean, maybe he'll get a non-guaranteed contract with an NBA team. I think it's it's extremely unlikely that he'll see any significant time in the NBA or that he will ever make it in the NBA. I hope for his sake, because he seems like a great dude, that he can parlay the summer league performance into a better contract overseas. But I think you should expect that he will, again, as with Dante Hall, 99.999% will not be with the organization next season. So that'll wrap up this episode. Next one, we'll focus on what the Pistons did in free agency. As always, thanks for listening. See you next time.